spent months interviewing dozens of nonprofit executives, and everybody's two biggest problems were fundraising and finding qualified staff. I created the Fundraising Accelerator for you. If you are an accidental fundraiser, like most nonprofit executives, you're probably learning on the job. Wouldn't it be nice for you to shortcut years of trial and error and start to get big, unrestricted gifts from individuals in sooner? Or maybe you're an executive director looking for a development director and not finding anyone who's qualified enough. I can help you train up your talent to help them start getting money in the door now. If this sounds like something I can help you with, check out my fundraising accelerator program at riawong.com. Applications are open now through February 17th. Spots are limited to 20, so apply today. Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey, podcast listeners. Welcome once again to Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, my guest is Jason Frizzell. We are going to talk about listening and speaking with intent. So Jason is an executive coach, a brand strategist, a speaker, and a podcaster, and more importantly, a dad. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great. Glad to be here. Good to see those of you who are with us. Thanks for joining. So Jason, before we jump into it, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Yeah, I'm a diehards Vikings fan. I'm from Minnesota originally. Professionally, I was in sales and technology sales, and I worked at a couple of large corporate firms. And then I moved out to New York and continued the same. And then I realized I didn't want to work at big companies anymore. And I did a whole bunch of startup work. And then about four years ago, I wanted to do something for myself, which Rhea, I know that's your journey as well. And I took the plunge and started my own coaching firm. And it's since expanded into the, some of the things that you would introduce me with. So in a nutshell, my journey was corporate, 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 and then smaller startups to now I work for myself. And I coach mostly people in technology and tech, like high tech, big tech startups. I do some speaking, you know, I'm a podcaster as well. And I'm also do personal brand strategy work for literally people that are their own brand. So generally people that are authors, speakers, consultants of their own brand, amongst some other interesting and not so related things. And I'm a dad, like you said. Let's talk about this because I know that you, in your executive coaching work, you work with folks who are high performers, executives in their field. What are some of the ways that you help them to kind of break through to the next level? Because I know we have a lot of mm -hmm. folks listening who are nonprofit executives or thinking about how to move up in their career. What are the things that hold us back? Yeah, <clears throat> the, the number one thing that I would say that I do with high performers is offer them other places to look at how they're coming, coming into something. Usually what holds us back is myself included. And I am not the person, I'm not the expert on, I'm, I do this for others. And I also have my own challenges with this myself is where we have the need to be right. Or we are, we are unwilling. My coach is always like, is that the hill you want to die on? Like, oh, like I am willing to actually create political problems at my company. I'm willing to go and piss off my team. If I'm a leader, if I'm not a leader, I'm willing to go and like make waves in my career. Because, because I'm so compassionate about this thing, but a lot of times it's just because they want to be right, not because it really matters. And for those of you who are in romantic relationships, like me, this is not just a work thing. <laughs> Where do you have to be right in your, in your marriage or in your partnership or even in your friendships? So that's the number one thing is that number two is offering 
and looking at things outside of just problems. Because what people, and Rhea, I think this is similar to the work you do. And I don't know what everybody else listening does here, but people bring problems all day, mostly. Hey, this isn't working. This isn't working. How do we make it better? How do we optimize? And sometimes taking a look like, well, is it actually really a problem? Or is it an opportunity? What's the yes and, we're talking about improv, but also, and Rhea, you know, I talk about this, like, what's the no and? Roy's saying no to things. I'm saying no to doing something else because I'm here with you all, which is a no to something else. And I get to be here with you all. And I get the benefits of that. And it's great. And that's the choice I made. And then finally, um, a lot of it is sounding board type of stuff too. So just to give you an example, one of my clients, his marketing, his head of marketing left and he had somebody who wanted to take on the role, but he didn't think they were ready. We had an hour long conversation about his beliefs, his intuition about that. And it ended up that he wanted to be right, that she wasn't ready. And then he actually gave her that promotion. So like things like that. And then also when we're talking about tech, we're always talking about raising funds, growing the company, quite frankly, right now in the, in the, in the industry, do we need to shrink a little bit and having an outside perspective to just talk to about that where I don't actually have a, an agenda for them other than to support them. Very valuable. So like those conversations can be wide open and I'm just generally a sounding board. And so much of what you're saying is important, I think, because in nonprofits, I feel like we are reluctant to invest in things like executive coaches. And yet Serena Williams does not walk onto a court without a coach. Like Steph Curry needs a coach, like the best need coaches in order to get better. And so I, and I just appreciate the fact that you're talking about creating space for people to be a sounding yeah. board because often it's lonely at the top, right? Like you're yeah. the only one who's dealing with the problems that you're dealing with. So you yeah. need someone to talk to you about that. Yeah. I, I like that you said that <clears throat> one of the things that, and I didn't really understand about this either. Cause I never worked with a coach until I was about five years ago. So I didn't really know what coaching was either is the idea that it's just also more fun to not do it alone. And that that's worth something and to be able to have a converse. And if, and I always say that everybody in our life has an agenda for us. We know our kids do all the time. They always want something from us. We know our significant others do if they have, if we have a significant other, our friends, of course, our bosses do Our if we're a leader, the people that work for us do. So everybody has an agenda. The best coaching, I don't actually have an agenda. It's what Rhea as my client wants to create and what she wants. It's arguably the only place besides maybe therapy where there's actually no agenda. And that is tremendously valuable, tremendously valuable. Just to give you an example for nonprofits, donors want something from you. And it's usually more than just like their name on a plaque, whether they say it or not your board is going to want something from you. And then of course, the people that work for you and the, and the, your constituents, the people you serve, of course, they're going to want something from you. That's why you're there. So you said something I'd love to dig into. You said beliefs. And I think so much of what holds us back or the stuff that creates drama or mind drama for us are the belief systems that we have. Can you dig a little bit deeper into how do you uncover these beliefs and then how do you change these beliefs? Yeah. So. The way I look at coaching is it's not my job to change your belief. It's my job to point out that you have a belief many times because as humans, what we like to do is we like to lean into our beliefs. And some of these will come from how we were raised. 
for those of us who grew up in some sort of spiritual or religious household, a lot of it, a lot of that comes from religion. A lot of it comes from the media of like, this is a belief, this is how it's going to be, or this is how I should be. And a lot of it comes from the educational system, no matter what kind of educational system you come through. And great, nothing wrong with any of that. That's what gives us structure. That's what makes us what I think productive, productive humans in the world. And there's always going to be some limits to all of those things. So let me give you an example. And uh, I'm going to speak for myself here because I like to do that. I grew up in a, a fairly religious home, I would say. Like, not, not anything crazy, but like, you know, like we had some beliefs. And what that taught me at a very young age is there's a right and a wrong way to do things. There's good and bad. And if you don't do the right things, then you're going to have these consequences. And if you do the bad things, you're a bad person. So I spent most of my life, probably still in some ways today, with that belief system because it's inherently inside of me. And one of the outputs of my coaching work with, with my coach that I've worked on for five years is what if there's a gray? What if there's more opportunity in the middle? And I can say for a fact that like that limiting belief is like, oh, it's right or wrong. And also I came from a sales background. So it's like you either close the deal or you don't close the deal and you either make the money or you don't. And then you either make your quota or you don't. And then you either get fired or you don't. And the truth of it is that's not necessarily the case. I'm, I'm sure this is how it goes in nonpro the nonprofit world too, is we either raise the funds we need or we make that mean something about us that we're bad or we're bad at the company or we're not doing the right things. And it's not to say that that isn't sometimes the case, but it's to say that it's not always the case. And being able to take a look at that and look at, and this is for everybody looking at your, we call this context in coaching. It's the lens you see the world through. So if you see the world as black and white, good and bad, you're going to see everything going on around you in a certain way. We just, you know, it's November 10th. We just had elections two days ago. And you see, this is how it generally plays out in politics. This is right. This is wrong. This is the, this person is bad. This person is good. And what, and like being able to shift that context. So that's one of the main parts about coaching is being able to take a look with people about what else is possible besides what you know to be true or not even what you know to be true. It's all, you know. Yeah. And I, I think I know you just had Eugene Choi on your podcast. He's been on my yes. podcast. I think he's brilliant, but I think yeah. especially in today's society where it just feels like everything is so ratcheted up when we're in that survival mindset, we see the world as black and white. It's either yeah. yes or no, good or bad. It's really hard to hold the complexity in our brains when we're freaked out about the state of the world. It's, it's super useful. Right. I mean, and Eugene talks about this. Hey, I need to, I'm hungry. I need to eat or I'm going to die. Hey, that animal over there could kill me. I need to run away or I need to kill it. Like there are some pretty binary things that if you observe animals, they still have those binary things. As humans, we've evolved in some ways, but in a lot of ways we haven't. And Eugene and I actually talked about this, about that part of our brain, which, you know, Eugene will talk about is we're in that part of our brain more often than we're not. It's like 70, 70%, 30% of <clears throat> survival state versus executive state is that. So to give you an example in coaching, I'll ask a client, they'll come and they'll, they'll have a vent or, Hey, I got a problem. We got to solve. Okay. Where's this coming from? We need to do it now because the investors are going to be mad. Is that true? Well, I don't know. Actually, I've never asked them. <laughs> okay. So like being able to shift or have somebody say what else might be possible and you might be spot on, right? You might be like, Oh, that person's so mad at me. And you're like, I don't know. Is that true? And then they go ask and they're like, I'm so mad at you. 
happens all the time, but it's a place to offer a different place to look. Yeah, I, I love that. It's sort of opening the different options that are available before jumping down this road. Let's switch tacks a little bit because I think your sales experience is relevant to the audience listening. So yeah. a lot of times we talk about how sales and fundraising are very similar. You and I first connected and I was really struck by your analysis of the three kinds of listening. So in not yeah. in fundraising, we talk about fundraising is actually listening, but I'd love for you to break down the three levels of listening because not all listening is the same. And I think this is really yeah. interesting. Yeah. So I, I just, I'm a big believer in giving credit. So this is not my, this is not my, just my idea. This is, this comes from a coach training program and thought leaders, co a coactive training Institute, great coaching programs, not the one I went through, but I highly respect them. And by the way, there's also a model of five levels of listening too. So it's, you know, there's a model for everything, but I'm for this one, I'm going to talk about three levels of listening. Level one, you're listening through your, for your own agenda which is where most humans listen for most of the time. So I would assert that those that are live with us here and for the podcast, you're listening through your own agenda. What's valuable? What can I use? What can I tactically take away? And by the way, none of these levels are wrong. There's a tremendous amount of value in listening through that lens. Like what's valuable? Give you an example here. Well, an overarching example is listening through the lens of value. How is this valuable? How is this not valuable? This is how most people listen to most people. Oh, is this when Rhea comes in and gives me a pitch on why I should work with her? Do I believe that she is going to provide enough value that I'm going to invest? Because that's easy for most people. And it removes the ability to see outside of like the value conversation because value is subjective. So now we're talking about sales, we're talking about fundraising value is subjective. So if you go, well, is it valuable enough? That's your own interpretation of the value. And that's great. And there's, there's a lot of use to that. So number one is you're listening through your, for your own agenda. What's in it for you? Where can, and so like people listen with all sorts of agendas. Let me give you a few. People can listen for, I'm right. I like to listen for that one. <laughs> people can listen for, oh, I'm wrong. Some people have a pull towards like, oh, how can I be wrong? And that ends, that usually comes from like a not enough type of context of so like, where else can I listen to this to prove that I'm not enough? This is where imposter syndrome comes from. So if you have imposter syndrome, you know what that is. And you go into a room and you share some things and you're listening for like, where am I? Do I not belong here? You're going to spot those places where you think you don't belong. Some people will listen for how am I alone? Like, how am I not likable? How am I not agreeable? And then there's all sorts of other ways to listen. But you can just be thinking about, so the practice I'd have for everybody here is as you're going out and listening and doing the work that you do and doing this in your personal life, what are you listening for? So that's listening level one. And that's the level that we all get trained on. Well, and what I want to point out here too, which you alluded to is confirmation bias, right? So to go back yes. to our earlier point, if we have beliefs about the world that I'm not enough, I don't belong, I don't get to have the things I want, I will then pick up all of the confirmation that that is true because like my brain is primed to look for those things. Yeah. The, the technical term, technical coaching jargon is context. And what we say is context is definitive. So if you have a context that you're not good enough, or you have a context that your startup can't raise capital, the, the 
the thing about being human that's both brilliant and challenging is our ego likes to be right no matter what we say to it. So if you say, hey, you know what? I'm unlovable or hey, like I'm a great leader. Your ego, subconscious ego is always going to be consciously looking for proof of that thing. So think about it for those who have a relationship of any type, like a romantic relationship. If you think of your partner as, think about their most annoying trait, like the thing that annoys you the most. And then you think about like, well, they're not very clean. I'm just going to make one up. They're not clean. What are you reliably going to do? You're going to spot very easily all the ways where they're not clean. I mean, much harder for you to spot where they might actually be doing a good job with that. Or where they, oh, like they actually have done the thing. So this is one of the challenges in romantic relationships is we have strong context about our partners and then we're always looking for the proof of them because our ego likes to be right about it. So, so like, Jason, yeah. oh, quick question. So what if my belief system is like, I'm awesome, I'm incredible, and I look around for confirmation of that. What's the fine line between like, I hate the term positive thinking, but you know, sort of positive reinforcement and being a psychopath, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't know anybody who has that thought pattern all the time. And I work with some pretty senior people who, if they were here, you'd be like, that person makes a ton of money and they do really well. They don't think that way all the time. None of us do. I know I don't. I'm pretty sure you don't, Rhea. <laughs> and we live in New York where you know people like to put that on. But when you do think, yeah, you're going to be looking for proof of it. Close the big deal. Close the big, you know, I closed the big donor. Oh, we got a big win. There's nothing wrong with that where it becomes toxic in my opinion and let's do something very timely i don't know anything about him other than what i see in the news but elon musk seems to have a context about himself that has him removed from some other being a good human is what i would call it and what would be possible if he could combine all that into one thing with almost infinitesimal resources and the ability to influence people and markets and also do it like with kindness in any way he has to do amazing so that's and i'm not saying he's a psychopath i don't know but it's it becomes where you think you're so good i do believe pride cometh before the fall so, so people that think they're so good generally will get theirs and people that are unwilling to be humble as well so humbleness is a context oh i'm humble the context i grew up with in midwest just the way i grew up is we we're humble so even if we're we think we're good we don't talk about it that's a context if you are like different that you're like, I am just good, then nothing wrong with that. You're always going to be looking for proof of how you can prove to people that, that, that you are really good. And also those people generally don't believe that about themselves. If you got them behind closed doors or you were able to get inside their own self-talk. All right. And the other thing I just want to say about level one listening is it, it feels like that's kind of a, the transactional level, right? It's totally. like, I, I want this. I give you X, you give me Y, right? And that's, totally. it, it's a very superficial. So what's the next level of listening? Yeah, next level of listening is listening through curiosity, through the context or the filter of curiosity. Let's take an example with you and I right here, right now on this podcast and on this webinar. The, the transactional level on listening, oh, she wants me to answer in question for the audience, which is true. And by the way, these stack on top of each other, not mutually exclusive where you go, I'm only a level two listener now. Like that is a hard, that is a impossible thing to do. But the curiosity I have then is what's the value for you all in my answer here? Like, and that's a curiosity I have for myself. Like, 
curiously asking, you know, we're going to talk about this too, is what do I want you all to know and how much of it is it about me with my own agenda and what I actually believe to be true? So this is an example where level two listening also you can do with yourself, which I think we're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit later. But for example, if you're talking about fundraising, you're talking to a big donor and they're telling you all the reasons that they think you might be the right place for them to put their money. They're not telling you everything almost 100% of the time. But the curiosity would be, oh, I'm telling you because it makes important. I care about this cause. Most people, not all, most people will go, oh, I'm so glad you care about this cause. When are we getting your check? What is it about this cause that you're so passionate about? Curiosity-based question. The thing I'll say to everybody is one of the things I learned in coaching is you don't really ever ask why questions because why generally implies some sort of judgment. Why are you doing this? Why are we on this podcast? Why are you all here today? What and how questions. What is it about this, about this nonprofit that has you passionate? How would you like your money to make a difference? Like those are questions that don't have a lens of judgment. It's purely like a curiosity-based question. And so, you know, I think that I always like to have takeaways. My agenda from level one is, is once you have takeaways, so where can you get more curious about what's being said? And that's, I know that's going to lead us to point number three, but level two listening is from curiosity, doing your best to remove your agenda and just being present. This is also when you know people are like, oh my gosh, she's such a good listener. It's usually because that person is listening from level two, not level one. And I just want to earmark here for those who are out there fundraising is it's often hard to get into level two or even level three listening when you feel the pressure of, I got to close a gift, right? So how do we manage the sort of anxiety that we might feel to get you know really transactional because I have pressures to close a gift because it feels like level yeah. two and level three are really about letting a moment unfold. Yeah, very challenging, very challenging. When you are under... And let's talk about our friend, Dr. Eugene, again, when you're in survival state, which is we need this check to come in by the end of the month, or we can't make payroll, just using a random example here, you're going to be in survival state, most likely, because you're literally, your brain actually believes that's surviving, like not dying in certain ways. So it's hard because level one is easy for all of us because we're trained in it. So you're going to naturally go there. So I don't have a good answer for you on the how-to because the how-to would be unique to each person in the way that they process. What I would say is meditation, getting present to what's true for you, uh, breath work, like things that would calm you. And again, please check out Eugene, we're promoting him, is what are the things that get you present and into your executive state? Because in your executive state, you're going to realize we do need that check, but we're actually going to survive. And there's other opportunities and there's other things there. So. I know for me, I find, especially in my sales career before I knew any of this lovely stuff, which would have been really helpful a few years ago, that yeah, at the end of the quarter, when your boss says, we need this to come in, you're in pure survival mode and you're going to be listening for how quickly can I close this deal? How quickly can I close this donor? What's the buying sign they're going to say? And unless the people listening here are just much more skilled at this than me, a yes isn't always a yes. And a yes in level one is usually going to feel like a yes. Oh my gosh, we got it. And then 
with no curiosity, you're like, oh, well, they're actually not the decision maker. Yeah. They now need to go talk to the board. I mean, we, I, I think anybody who's ever raised money at, either through sales or through nonprofit work will know a yes is not a yes when you're talking to people who have other decision makers and getting curious. Even the curiosity question, great. So who else in the organization is really passionate about this? Who else would we need to talk to? Is that, so that's, you know, at a nutshell, like that's level two is curiosity-based questions. Well, and the thing I just want to flag here is so often the way that we're taught to fundraise or to do sales is like the ABC always be closing paradigm. It does not work. And it feels really disgusting because we're actually not creating relationships and connections. We're looking at people like they're walking checkbooks. And so I think we have to help the field unlearn all of these bad toxic habits. Yeah. Well, I saw an article on LinkedIn yesterday about this, about how a lot of people who recruit for sales are having trouble with the newest generation coming out of college because of the negative connotation around it, because that's still the thing. But the truth of it, truth of it is, I always relate to my sa- a salesperson. You're a salesperson too. Like I, you can buy things from me. It's my services. Is that you all can find out a lot about me before you ever talk to me. You can find out about ninety percent of what you need on the internet about most things, including nonprofits or donors. Like it's mostly out there. So the days of having like having the salesperson be your go-to for information is gone. So for me, all I have really have is to build a relationship with you and make sure it's a good fit. And that gets really challenging when you're under a timeline, when you're in survival state. I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, if you can just do level two listening, it's going to be easier. It's not going to be easy. That's why it's a constant practice and it's never going to be perfect. So it's just something to continue to practice and, and be quite frankly, Rhea, to be the awareness that it exists is usually a game changer for a lot of people that there actually is another thing to do or another way to listen. Yeah, I, I mean... For anyone listening on the podcast, they know that I am on a single woman mission to ditch the pitch. I think we teach nonprofits that like you need a, a pitch and like the ten, like the five second elevator pitch. And I have never raised money off the back of a pitch. There's no magical combination of words that I'm going to say to get you to write a check, right? It's about relationship. It's about marrying the work that we're doing with who you believe you are in the world and the value and impact you want to have. And it's an invitation, right? It's a, it's a combining of resources, not like a extractive, like I do this, you do that. Yeah. Like a transactional or scarcity mindset, scarcity context of, well, like if I give the money here, then I can't give here. Well, in a way that's true, but there's also other things to look at outside of that. Okay. So level one is listening with an agenda. Level two is listening with curiosity. What's the magical level three? Yeah. The, oh my gosh. It's so magical. It's actually not magical. It's just something that most people, most people, I'm just going to speak for myself that I wasn't really aware of is listening to the, so the way we, what we call this in coaching is listening to the whole of the client. How you would say this in the real world outside of jargon is paying attention to what's going on with the client's body language, their energy, and there's space around them. So think about everybody listening. I want you to think about the time you had a sales call or a, a pitch, like you said, a pitch or a donor meeting and you're with the person and it all sounded good, but you knew, but there was something wacky with the energy. We, I'm, I would be shocked if everybody listening hasn't been there. Something wacky or maybe it's frenetic or maybe they're extra relaxed listening through that lens and in coaching specifically, and this is really a coaching thing. If you were my client here, Rhea, and 
and I saw you really light up about something that we talked about, I would say, hey, I, you really, it felt like you really lit up there. Is there anything to explore? The way you would do this in a sales context would be, hey, you seem really passionate. Like it lands for me like you're really passionate about this. Is there anything you'd like to tell me about that? Noticing what's going on with the body. Like and humans were pretty bad. Most humans are pretty bad at hiding excitement and pretty bad about hiding disappointment or frustration. Most of us, we like to think we're good. We got the stone cold face. We don't show any emotion. But humans are notorious for micro expressions where we can't actually hide those things. So anybody, you want to look at a great resource for micro expressions, Vanessa Van Edwards. She talks a lot about micro expressions. You know, Vanessa, she, she's been a guest of my podcast. She's awesome. Again, survival state stuff. It's the same. And we do them to show that we're either safe or we're not as a mammal. The dogs do micro expressions all the time. We do them as humans and we can't control them. That's the whole purpose behind them. Now, I'm not saying you have to become an expert on micro expressions. I'm not an expert on it. But noticing also, I think for, for people that are doing fundraising in the nonprofit world, the thing that really you can pay attention to is where do the words not align with the energy of the person? And one of the things that I do not believe the education system ever trains us for is how to pay attention to the whole of a person and the energy of, per, of a person. I think most of us intuitively, we're pretty aware of the energy. You know, when you meet somebody, you're like, like oh, this is my person. There's an energetic match there. And I'm not talking romantic, just like, hey, I want to get to know this person. Or you meet someone, you're like, ooh, this is not my person. It's another place where you can pay attention to what's coming up and what's in the space that might have you limit possibility there. And this is where you say, hey, it seems like, like with a, what's nice about coaching is you, you have a relationship with a person. So you say, hey, something just feels, I, I'm just noticing that something for me lands is off today. Is there anything we need to address? You can do that in a sales context. You seem, you seem like you're really busy. Is now a good time to have this conversation? And this is where, again, you can do this on Zoom or any virtual platform. In person, it's even better. And I will offer this too. The whole of the space can be what's going on around them. So is their office, does their office feel frenetic? Is there a lot of stuff everywhere? Is it barren? That generally will say, like people's space will say something about them. You just want to be careful you don't interpret over-interpret it, but it generally says something about us. Like when we're, especially when we're in our, in our space, like it means something about us. And so paying attention to all those. So, you know, if you take one, you're always going to be listening for an agenda because what our brain does in certain ways. Where can I become more curious about what's being said or also what's not being said? What's the underlying meaning of the words? What am I curious about? And then what's happening that isn't like what's happening outside of the words being expressed? Combining those three allows you to go much deeper and build relationships with people and get to their truth much faster in, an, in a, what I think is in a way that's in an ethically and it's ethical and in, actually in integrity because you're actually meeting people where they're at, as opposed to, Rhea, you said this, the idea of like sales, like here's all these techniques that you can do and psychological and make the pain so high that they have to do it. That can work, but what's likely to happen is they're likely to not be a donor for the next year or the year after if they don't feel that. Or in sales, they're likely to not rebuy from you. So in a long nutshell, it's a big nut nutshell. Those are the those are the three levels of listening. Again, if you want to know more about that, it's the Coactive Training Institute. You can look that up three levels of listening if you Google that. 
Jason, I love this so much because really at the end of the day, whether you're in sales or in fundraising or whatever you're doing, it's about trust building and people will not trust you if they don't feel like you care about them, that you're noticing things about them, that you're listening to them, right? And so this brings me to my next question, which is what is the acronym WAIT, W-A-I-T? Yeah, WAIT. So it's spelled just like the English word for weight, not the weight of your body, but the weight of like weight. And it stands for, and I'm going to use a word that I said don't use before. Why am I talking? Again, why am I talking? That's what it stands for. I didn't make it up. I'm going to give my friend Christine credit for it, but it just really has always sat with me. And something you can ask yourself, especially if you want to practice level two listening. So in level one, listening and communicating, why we were talking is same reasons. To be right, be wrong, to convince, to persuade, to, to push somebody away, to attract, all those things. Nothing wrong with any of those things done, you know, with moderation. But this is one of the things that we learn in coach training or we train new coaches on is why are you sharing in the session? Are you sharing because you want the client to like you? Are you sharing because they want you to think they're, you're brilliant? You're credible because you know what you're talking about. Do you want them to think that you're on their side? All good things. But in sales, the way this shows up is slimy salesperson. Persuasion turns into just annoyance of like those things, how this shows up is over explaining. I think most of us are probably at a client go, oh, this sounds really good. I think I've got what I need. No, but, but I got some more value for you. I need to tell you. The curious question there would be that excellent. So it sounds like you've got everything you need. Is there anything else that you think would be useful for you as you go and propose this to the board? But for level, level one listening, we're either going to accept the answer or we're going to more value, more value, more value. And I do a lot of coaching with salespeople. Young salespeople are notorious for providing so much value when the client doesn't actually want it or they're already sold or they're already a no. Well, that leads me to the next question though, because I know when I'm training fundraisers, they over-talk. So they're in the ask, it, they're nervous. They, they talk too much about the thing. They talk too much about the organization. They've lost an opportunity to actually connect and ask good questions and get to that deeper level of understanding. What are some of the ways that we can train ourselves not to over-talk in, mm -hmm. in an ask or in a sale? Number one, Rhea, what would you like to get out of our time together today? How do, how do pitch meetings usually go? Rhea, today, I've got a slide deck and I'm going to walk you through it and I'm going to tell you about our organization and all the things we do. Now, you can, you can actually have that question before the meeting and they might say, we want to see your pitch deck. Great. We're going to bring our pitch deck. So number one is always put it to the client or the potential client, the prospect, the donor, around what they would like to get out of it. Number two, if you're doing a pitch and you're using slides specifically, what if you want to build a relationship, you're not going to build relationships through reading stats and figures on slides. 
So I always, I always look to what can the client already know or what the, can they read or what can you send them ahead of time that then you can provide, provide them context for that they could not get context around otherwise. Same with sales, bits and bytes, speeds and feeds. Oh, let's, let me tell you how the software works and how it does this. Most buyers can read that stuff. So that's another way to do it. And checking in and checking in doesn't necessarily just mean, Hey, do you have any questions? Because in a sales context, speaking for myself, what I'm really asking you is, do you get it in? Or are you ready to move forward? And are you going to buy from me? Like truly checking in, Hey, is it like, is anything here? Does this align with what you, does this align with the vision of, of what you would see for a, a for a nonprofit you'd want to donate to? Oh, there are, do you have some, any questions about that? Like, is anything not clear here? Like, or what do you think of our mission? How many times do you ask a client what they actually think of what you're selling? And in this case, you know, selling or donating to like actually ask them what they think. That's not about, would you like to invest or would you like to buy or like, actually, what do you think? Not often. I know, I know my sales career, that was not, I'd be like, so what do you really think about the product? And I'd be like, oh, so do you think it's a good thing for you to buy? Cause that's right. how we're trained. Yeah. Right. So it's like, give it back to the, the client or potential client and just check in with them around how things are going. Like what questions, like, what do they need? And, and, and then practice your level two and level three listening. But what's not being said, because there's always things that aren't being said in any sort of sales relationship. Yeah, I really coach the people I train around this to think about 75% them talking, 25% you talking. And I often talk about thinking about it like a date, like you wouldn't go on a first date with a pitch deck and my resume and, oh, I went you to could. this school and this is my GP. Well, you could, you probably wouldn't get a second date, right? <laughs> But if you actually approach it like, hey, this is a, a moment that we can get to know each other. Do we like each other? Do we want to do business together? Do we, yeah. is my view of the world aligned with your view of the world? Yeah. Then let's talk. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah. It's like, are we aligned? That's, right. a, great, that's a great question. Hey, does this feel in alignment? But you don't yeah. ask it from a, oh, it is great. So how, when can we get the money? When can we transact? I'm like, oh, great. Just yeah. being curious about it. Yeah, no, because that feels like great. We had a great first date. You want to get married? You ready? <laughs> <laughs> we can get, go to Vegas right now, right? Probably not. Probably a non-starter. Yeah. Uh, all right. Great question coming in from Ashley. I was just saying or thinking that I know I wear my emotions on my face. I just and how much I guess are the people that we're meeting with doing what you're saying? I guess they're looking at me maybe for my what's not being said. And I guess that's on mm. my, my face. So how yeah. important is that for somebody I'm trying to fundraise to have a poker face or show your emotions and that's what makes you relatable and that what, you know, makes you connect with people. So I'm just wondering your yeah. take on that. Yeah. Thanks, Ashley. It's a great question. Would you consider yourself a passionate person? When I'm, when I'm talking about what I'm doing, this particular nonprofit, yes, I'm very passionate about it. Yeah, I can already tell by the way you answer the question. It's great. This is my, and again, yeah, you can hear it in your voice, Ashley. It's great. So this is, again, this is not a right or wrong question, a right or wrong answer. This is just my perspective on it. You should bring as much passion as you want to the things that you're actually passionate about. And one of the things I know about people in nonprofit is they're generally quite passionate about what they're talking about, which makes people that work in nonprofit amazing. 
because not all people in corporate are passionate about it. Like you're actually doing good in the world in some way, shape, or like some corporations do that. So I would encourage you to keep that authentic passion. So the, the question about the poker face is people are going to hear it in your voice and they're going to like Ray and I like heard it just from your question, even when you were on mute, like we heard it in your voice. So there's going to be no surprise there in terms of like the other side of that. So maybe it's something around like disappointment or frustration that I do, you know, well, I guess I would ask you, Ashley, the other side of that coin, like, do you, what other emotions do you know that you wear in your face or have been told that you do? I'll just assume that you've either received feedback or you know this to be true, that also you can't hide disappointment very well or frustration or something like anger or sadness. You just want to be present to what you want the client or the person to know. And of course, people intuitively know when you're selling something or raising capital that you're going to be disappointed if they say no. Like that's something people, like it's not a secret. I, I love this when, I love this thing that like a lot of people like to pretend to do that there isn't sales going on all the time where you're like, oh, we're just here to, we're just here to educate. You're like, no, we're here. We, we're here to hopefully create a mutually beneficial conversation, a mutually beneficial relationship. So, you know, for everybody listening here, I would just say that's a personal choice on the negatives, like not even negative. Those aren't negative emotions. They're just emotions. Passion is contagious for almost all of us. It is something that is humans, Ashley, you're back. That is, so Ashley, what I was saying is keep the passion. If there's like a frustration or sadness or something on the other side that you've been told like, oh, I can tell when you're disappointed. That's a personal choice. People are also going to know when you're disappointed, usually in the messaging. They're going to know. If you're fundraising and you get a no, people are going to know that's not what you want to hear. So I get that. That's a, you know, that's a personal choice what I would say, but I love, I personally love to buy from people that are passionate about what they do. And I like to talk to people that are passionate about what they do. Well, and, and I think the other piece too, Jason, is that people can sniff out phoniness a mile away. People want to deal with authenticity. And so if, if, you know, it's coming off as authentic that like, Hey, I am disappointed. I mean, you know, I, I would think about how you're messaging that, but like, you're also human and people are going to appreciate that you're yeah. human. So I think we have time for one last question. I've been asking a lot of my guests this, and Jason, this is very similar to the question you asked me in your podcast an hour ago. If you had a metaphorical billboard to communicate anything to the world, what would be on your billboard? Possibility exists outside of what you know. Or what, oh. sorry, possibility exists outside what you believe you know. I love that. I love that. You're not always right. <laughs> and anyone who's been married knows this. Well, most people, I haven't quite figured this out yet, but. <laughs> I'm sure your wife has told you many times. Jason, where can folks connect with you on the interwebs? On the interwebs. Yeah, you can just go to my website. Just my name's jasonfrizzell.com. From there, you can connect. With, please connect with me on Instagram, you know, Facebook, I'm a podcaster, all that good stuff. But yeah, my website's just the easiest place to go and hang out and get to know a little bit more about me. Awesome. We will make sure to have all of your info in the show notes, including your podcast, talking to cool people who, that I was just on an hour ago. So and if Rhea can be on it, we know anybody can be on it. I mean, not my dog. My dog is a terrible conversationalist. Her dog is a terrible conversationalist. But very sweet. <laughs> very sweet. Very sweet. All right. 
Thanks so much, everyone. Jason, this is awesome. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks to everybody joining us live today and everybody listening. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. Take care. Have a good day.